All right. I am Katie Connors. I am in Portland, Oregon. And um, uh, describe Portland for me, if you can. Um, Portland is, I think, very similar to Seattle and California in the ways that um, people are taking it very seriously over here. Uh, all of the, you know, um, all the COVID-19 measures and social distancing. Uh, but we've been essentially shut down since March 16th. Um, that's when Governor Kate Brown um, implemented all of the very serious social distancing measures and um, all of the restaurants shut down. Some people have been doing to-goes, but um, all non-essential businesses have shut down since then. Um, I think we have like 300,000 people who are unemployed at this point, and the numbers keep steadily growing day by day. Um, the grocery store lines are <laughs> pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, and, you know, we... All the schools are shut down, um, so we just we're, we've just been hanging out in the neighborhoods and, uh, you know, trying to spend time with our kid. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's definitely a ghost town of sorts. Um, there's no traffic or anything like that. Um, but yeah, people have been taking it very seriously over here. Um, I think, and we haven't seen a lot of caseloads because of that, which is you know good to see. But everyone is definitely very cautious about turning everything back on um, in the way that the president is wanting to. What's been the immediate impact? Can you give me a, a sketch of your, your daily life before Kate Brown introduced the, these measures? I mean, Totally. So um, I am a director of operations for a restaurant group called Hot Yai. We have two restaurants um, in in the Portland area that are very popular. It's like a Thai Southern, like Southern Thai fried chicken. Uh, and my husband is a chef um, at a pretty popular restaurant here called Canard, which is part of the Little Pigeon restaurant group. And uh, so we actually, we were both laid off on the, on the 16th, the day that um, all of the restaurants shut down. And we were, I mean, because we we're, so I was part of that decision process, uh, rolling into it, you know, anticipating all the different things that could happen on that day, you know, um, working with my owners to be able to understand what sort of impact all of this is going to have on the business and the health of the business. And so it didn't not come as a surprise to us at all. Um, I mean, it was a surprise in certain ways, just because everything was happening so fast. It was like, you know, one day, it was one thing and the next day. So, I mean, I had a couple of days to sort of process it mentally. Um, so, you know, our, we went from working, you know, my husband working like 60 hours a week to, you know, a screeching halt um, and me running to restaurants to, to not and having the kid at home. We have a, we have a, you know, three and a half year old. So um, just watching him at all times, it's, it's been, sort of a blessing in certain ways just because we get to spend so much time together as a family, whereas before we definitely were, were super busy. Um, so, you know, we definitely have had our lives kind of turned upside down a little bit, but, and we don't really know what the next steps are going to be. Um, my husband's restaurant doesn't function as to go and probably never will. Um, so we are all waiting. I don't know if you know about this, but the SBA loan program, Small, small business, business administration. Yeah. yeah. So they ran out of money yesterday. Um, and so a lot of small businesses weren't even actually able to apply. So a lot of these restaurants that were waiting, you know, sort of like being promised all of these funds by their banks and 
insurance companies aren't covering any loss of, you know, usually you have different provisions in your insurance to cover uh, loss of business, but um, none of the insurance companies are actually covering any of that. So people have just been having to pay out of pocket for everything without any income coming in. Um, so they've been waiting for SBA to sort of kick in and most businesses, not most, I would say, you know, 50% of businesses weren't even able, able to access an application, let alone get any funding. Um, and that just sort of dropped yesterday. So we're waiting to see what is going to happen next. And we should say uh, from where you're speaking yesterday would be Thursday the 16th. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about business screeching to a halt. That's both your incomes as well, though, right? Your entire household income. It is our entire household income. Um, luckily, we did have a teensy bit of savings to sort of um, to not be in a place where we were totally freaking out. Uh, but it was definitely, you know, uh, a harsh reality. And then, uh, like many of the states here in the United, like like many of the states here in America, is um, our unemployment system was not built for this. I think our our computers are literally from like 1982, and um, <laughs> they completely. So everyone, like, imagine you know every single restaurant in the city almost shutting down um, on one day, and everyone trying to apply for unemployment on that day, and our employment system freaked out and shut down for about a couple of days. And I I, I know people still um, that haven't received one check of unemployment since then. Um, luckily we were not of that group and we were started receiving unemployment checks the first week of April right. and have gotten some back pay, um, for, for that time. And, and here in Oregon, we have something called a waiting week. So it, from the time that you apply to the time that you receive your first payment is like three weeks. Um, and Kate Brown just, uh, took away the waiting week, um, in alignment with the CARES Act. Uh, so we're going to get back pay for that. Um, but it's been, you know, taking it day by day and sort of uh, trying to assess what our next moves are going to be. And But we can't really, there's, I, I mean, coming from two people that are usually always planning ahead um, just because of our jobs and, and everything um, on an operational side, we have not been able to sort of do any planning whatsoever. <laughs> um, we are at the whims of, of the government, which is the first time I've ever sort of been in that position um and we're not used to that in america you know <laughs> i'm sure you're well aware um none of us are used to having that sort of um like you know our, our systems are not set up for it that sort of social um resources like that so yeah what was it like for you when you're seeing this coming towards you and you're thinking of uh, the people who are all working for those restaurants right yeah um it was, it was really, I mean, it was definitely scary. Uh, it was terrifying, but I think, you know, what we have on our side, what, what we understand is that our community, what, what's so, we're so lucky to be in Portland. I mean, um, our city, our industry to a certain extent is, is food and beverage. Um, the Portland's, you know, Portland is known for this sort of thing. And so we have a very, very strong community that, um, is super resilient um, and also super supportive of one another. Uh, two days before, so it was the Friday, but the, like Monday was March 16th, and so it was the Friday before. Um, 
we had sort of a community meeting where, you know, 50 to 60 restaurant owners and operators showed up in one room. It was not anticipated to be that many, but everyone was like sort of in this place of what are we going to do? How are we going to protect our staff? How are we going to protect our businesses? Um, And we aligned and formed something called the Portland Independent Restaurant Alliance, Pura for short. Um, and really just got all on the same page and said, you know what, this is all going to be extremely difficult. Let's, let's use each other as resources and as, um, as information pours in, we'll share it. And, but knowing that we're literally taking it not even day by day, but hour by hour, everything could have changed. Like we knew at that point, just through sort of mind sharing that everything was changing so rapidly. And the only thing that we could do is depend on one another um, and at that point, I kind of felt a sense of security, knowing that moving forward, um, we would be fighting with one another to sort of protect um, what we had here and protect our, our our community, like all of our restaurant workers and owners. Um, but we are seeing restaurants already starting to shut down permanently. Um, there was a couple last week and people, it's really difficult to understand, like with restaurants, it is a very slim margin. And a lot of these people, I th- I would say, especially now that it's coming out with, I would say 60 to 70% of restaurants, unless something drastic happens, um, won't reopen or they'll reopen and survive maybe a month or two and close their doors. There's just not, there's, I don't really see an alternative at this point. It's, it's really, cause I, I mean, just coming from an operational standpoint and knowing how books look and knowing how <laughs> the math of restaurants well, how 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 do books look? I mean, what's the nuts and bolts of? I mean, I mean, really break that down for somebody who has no idea, because yeah. So, a super successful restaurant group, I would say, um, is maybe not. I mean, super successful. Let's let's like a relative term. Um, it's it's hard to do it on a on a scale, but. Uh, you're looking at labor usually itself and all overhead costs. I would say 75 to 80% of your gross. So um, the income, the actual, like, you know, the income that you're, that you're making every single month is very minimal. You know, our costs are exponential when it comes to day to day management, um, week to week management. And, it's not that we're doing bad business. It's just that this business is is very intensive. Um, there's tons of different needs as far as like ordering consistently. And, you know, we pride ourselves in making sure that we're, but it, it takes a lot of energy and a lot of work in order to make sure that costs are as low as they can be. Um, and labor is usually the majority of that cost. Um, but it, when you're looking at your year, you're not seeing that you have a lot of money in the bank. You know, a good year is, you know, bringing in a hundred thousand dollars, but that, that money usually goes into different projects that you want to, and improvements and different things like that. You're not, it's not, it's not a big money business at all. Um, unless you have, you know, a Michelin star or a huge accolades, but usually, I mean, most businesses here in Portland and, and I would say most restaurants, around around the nation are usually mom and pop they're they're small independent business owners and you know after paying themselves after the owners are paying themselves out you're not looking at 
much margin at all. No, and, um, and actually, you know, just hearing you say that, I, I, I realized that something that was so striking to me when I first moved to the States was that people eat out a lot yeah. all the time as a matter of course, really, you know, just, you know, breakfast on a Sunday. It, it's just a, a very integral part of the rhythm of people's lives, both as individuals and as families, you know. Mm-hmm. So the so the idea of that suddenly not being there, that, that um, you know, Frank's pancakes on 99, <laughs> yeah. um, north of Seattle, something like that, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's true, and I think that people sort of take it for granted. And it's one of those things, too, it's like, you know, um, people aren't willing to pay a lot of money for food, even though they do eat out all the time. And I think that the landscape that we're going to be looking at after everything reopens is that people are going to have to get ready to pay a lot of money for food because workers are going to, you know, most restaurants don't provide health care for all of their employees. Um, and so people are having to outsource health care and different things like that. And I think that um, the cost of doing business is not only going to be expensive to get restarted, but the cost of doing business is going to be exponentially higher because of all of the demands and just because of the different world that we're going to be living living in, which is why I think that some places places will reopen, but it'll be a short, a lot of places, it will be a short stint. It's not going to be, you know, finding sustainability there is going to be much more difficult. Um, right. And, and, and is the is the idea of a return to, quote unquote, normality, normality being what 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 existed before just untenable? Because I think so a little bit, for sure. I think that it's going to be I think what's going to be most difficult to transition is like the traditional sit down restaurants um, that don't provide takeout options. Um, but I think we're going to be looking at it like a primarily takeout environment for the next year and a half, two years. Um. So I, I want to ask you then, um, was it, obviously the people who work for your restaurants, um, your, your staff were all aware of this coming down the line too, even though it was coming very quickly. Was it, was it hard to tell them this is it? Yeah. And I think that most people, I mean, at the time it was like, so we were all temporarily laid off. That's the technical way of looking at it. It was like, you know, we're in a temporary layoff is like, we'll rehire you in four weeks. Um, I think we're literally at the four week mark like yesterday. (laughs) Um, And uh, so everyone was sort of taking some comfort and knowing that they will have a job in the next month. But here we are, you know, a month later and, and we're not there. Um, I was, as, you know, all I could do in that scenario leading up to it was be extremely transparent with them. Um, I took a lot of, you know, building up to it, we had a lot of different SOPs that we were doing day by day in order to mitigate any transmission or any risk to the staff. I thought that that was the most, and, and risk to all of our guests as well. What's an SOP? Um system of operation. So it's like different, you know, different things that our staff was doing daily that they were required to do in order to, to mitigate. So we were doing all sorts of cleaning and all sorts of wearing gloves and, and all of that pretty, pretty early on. I think we started doing that in February. So they were pretty 
pretty aware that there are some drastic things going to be happening. Um, I just think that none of us were aware of how drastic they were going to get. But we were just, you know, I I was talking to them all the time about it, um, letting them know that I'm in, and I'm kind of the person I think that I find comfort in information. And so I was reading the news every single day. <laughs> um, and I still do. We, I wake up and read the news and I, every single moment I'm not reading books I'm, I'm reading the news um which might be to my <laughs> demise but um, that's, that doesn't that doesn't sound uh, like a great way to go at the minute <laughs> I know I know but it's for us especially because there's so much like our entire crux of our our industry which is definitely something like we I mean my husband and I plan on being in this industry for the rest of our lives it's like the entire crux of this of our of our being is sort of um at risk a little bit. So I think that we are just very aware that we have to know. And it, it's, it, there's just so much information to sort out, but like a lot of the information is important. Um, and that information is coming out every single day. Um, so it's hard to, it, it's, it's not healthy, but it's for us, it's kind of necessary. Yeah. That's interesting because I'm also just really into consuming a lot of that stuff and a lot of information and a lot of news and I sort of have to stop myself because it there's there's definitely it, it becomes really corrosive at, at times. Yeah, um, totally. How do you manage that? I think we. I mean, we don't necessarily watch the news. I think we're constantly reading it and diff- finding different articles. Um, I think we limit our Trump time to like literally like watching the the briefings. We limit it to like thirty minutes before we turn it off, but. We try to key in for certain things. Um, I think also I try to find information. A lot of the time I'm browsing, but I I try to find information that I could share with other people that could be helpful. I think one of the ways that I found was really important when everything was shutting down is just trying to, like, you know, most people haven't applied for unemployment before. Most people haven't gone through this kind of sort of process before, and they probably, hopefully, never will again. And so this is, these are actions and information and, uh, and education that none of us were anticipating to sort of understand and, and share amongst one another. But um, at this point, I feel like I know Oregon unemployment law and Oregon unemployment, you know, information as much as anyone. And um, so, and there's news about like, we're changing everything every day in the state. So. Yeah. It's also pretty, one of the advantages of having, such a layered system or series of systems of government is that, you know, when you can't trust anything at a federal level, at least you can take refuge in, you know, your state government, hopefully, not in every state, but ideally you can take refuge in the state government or city government. There's there's some source there that is reliable somewhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that Portland is small enough. I think it's kind of like similar to Seattle in some certain ways that we feel that we are close enough to our city government that we can understand it um, and that it reflects who we are a little bit. And that definitely is comforting. Um, And it's, you know, it's a West Coast liberal city to a certain extent, and um, it aligns with our values and, and Thank God for that, because if I was living <laughs> in the South right now, I think that it would be 
a really difficult experience um, because a lot of those governments haven't even, you know, super late to the sort of stay at home orders. And uh, it's just a whole other experience in the different parts of the country. So, um, yeah, I feel very lucky. How's how's your family then, your extended family, you know, your parents and so on? Like, um, are you are you in touch with them? Are you? Yeah. Um, how how is it going for them? How are they holding up? My um, my family lives in California, and my dad is a natural hermit, so he's he's just puttering around in a garage <laughs> and saying "fuck all" to the world, anyway. So um, he's fine. My husband's parents live in Florida and Georgia, and his mom is a nurse. Um, so that's crazy. Uh, and she's, but she's super resilient and kicking ass and doing great things. And um, I'm glad that she's in Georgia. I think that, you know, our medical workers are insane right now. I mean, it's just like such amazing people. Um, Florida, his dad is also a bit conservative. So I think that. Florida's coming to definitely like a slow realization of, of, of what this is. And I think that there's definitely some hesitancy to, you know, embrace and understand what this pandemic means. Um, but you can't, you just got to love them. Have you, um, have you been able to talk to, talk to him about it yeah yeah we were able to talk to him a bit um he's a he he runs a plumbing company in florida um and they're they're essential workers so uh they're still working and not really i mean as of a week ago not really taking any sort of precautions um which but i mean it it could be changed by now i don't i I really the governor i don't know if you've seen any of the news coming out of florida but I have, I, I yeah. have, and I guess it would be the the flip side of what I was saying earlier about the constellation of having these different tiers of government. Is that if um, if one of them goes haywire, <laughs> that would be it. Yeah, they that, can do that's a lot of damage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing, but it's not it's not funny. It's not remotely funny. It's not funny at all. No, it's it's not. And I think that it's it's hard too because you know. My husband and I, and a lot of people work in work in a world and live in a world where your job is to to take care of others um, and to make sure people's experiences are are positive. And that is our whole, you know, that is our whole goal with what we do and how we set up environments and the food that we feed them and all of these different things. And it's really, it's you know, we're seeing this world where people are becoming a bit divided on um, how we value others to a certain extent, because to me it's like what's happening in Florida and what's happening in different other places is, you know, it's this, this idea that you can sort of have a, have an opinion and gamble on with someone else's life to a certain extent. And I, and to me, that's just like unfathomable. Um, but that's what, that's what we're seeing in certain places of the country is that um, people are prioritizing economy over life. And I just, that's, really strange but it's the way that um certain aspects of capitalism are playing out so unfathomable is a is a very useful word in this in this moment i think yeah (laughs) yeah i know how's australia (laughs) i mean 
how's Australia? Um, it looks like Australia may have, to some extent, managed to dodge the worst of things, not through any particular competence on the part of the federal government, I don't think. The federal government for the last month has been, um, particularly in the in the first few weeks, was very mealy-mouthed and very conditional and very unclear in the way that they were talking about things. So they would be talking about the possibility of imposing restrictions and then in the same briefing the Prime Minister would then contradict what he'd just said. So there was lots of confusion about what's actually happening. And so there's been some there's been some difference between the different states. But for the most part, uh, the level of casualties has been has been fairly low. Obviously terrible for anybody who has actually been affected by it. But and and yeah. exactly exactly what that's down to, obviously the the social distancing and those measures have made a huge difference. Yeah. Um but it's also I, I think it's probably too early to say exactly why. Australia has been lucky, if you know what I mean. Totally. Um, and quite a lot of the cases that have happened have come from single, um, single incidents, like you know a cruise ship in Sydney, for instance, that totally disgorged twelve hundred passengers. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. Um, in terms of the actual impact on people, it's been similarly massive to everywhere else. So, you have a we have a right wing federal government who have introduced all this uh, government spending to help um, support certain sectors of the population. Uh, The people who are really facing uh, a struggle are people who were casually employed or people who are on temporary visas who aren't included in any of the relief packages, Mm -hmm. um, similar to the US. So, um, which is is in itself an interesting thing. I, I find it kind of unfathomable to use that word again, that you would just look at this whole sector, it's like a million plus people, it just who are casually employed and think, oh, well, they don't, they don't need help, obviously. Yeah, and they don't count, I think. Uh, so that's, that's where it is at the minute. Um, people are feeling like they may have like dodged a bullet. Um, restrictions are going to be in place for another uh, three or four weeks at least. And after that, who knows? Um, it may ease up sooner than that, but I don't think so. Yeah, I I think that I think we're I think we're still set bet- like for April thirtieth is when you know we haven't gotten any word to like, for the extension of that, but I think she said April April thirtieth around the first of April, so that's where we're at. But I know that New York just extended to May fifteenth, so I don't know. It's just such a strange such a strange world. Just you know, living day to day and just being like, can I? Are we? But even even if we do, I just don't know what opening up means. You know what I mean? It's such a well, yeah. What what would that mean? Like, so would it mean you go uh, downtown back to work on day one? And no, or yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> you know, it's like I I well, and also the way that these um, SBA loans, the PPP loans, like pay, Paycheck Protection Program. The way that they're rolling out is that um, everyone, well, the way that they stand right now is that everyone has to use all of, in order for it to be forgiven, everyone has to use all that money before June 30th. So it's a very, very, very short timeline. Um, so I don't know 
how I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I think my restaurant company um, is not going to hire me back until the very last minute because I'm I'm expensive compared to other rest like other other employees. Um, I don't. I, I, everyone is going to be different. I think that every even if things do open up, I think every business is going to be completely different. Um, and how 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 are you feeling, Kitty? I mean, we've talked about a, a lot of the mechanics here, but how are you actually feeling after three and a half weeks of um, uncertainty and totally? I I honestly I, I don't feel bad. I feel. I mean, I feel really lucky to have have a family and to having company during all of this and we've been able to like cook and you know do all the things that we would normally do on like vacation um it's weird uh but I don't I, I I'm also kind of the person I'm not overly optimistic nor am I overly pessimistic um so to me, it's like everything is going to play out the way it needs to play out. And I, I've i been working and I also feel a bit secure because I've been working in the industry I've been working in for 12, 12 years. And I, I know that at some point I, I'm going to be able to be hired back somewhere. But it is definitely daunting not knowing what our world is going to look like um, and how drastically it will be changed. And I know I know that that is coming. I know that the other shoe is going to drop here in the next, you know, however many months. Um, and I think that, I think when we're talking about economic devastation, it's, I really think that we're, we're yet to see the true beast of what this is. Um, I think that people are going to be devastated for years to come. And um, that's difficult to understand, but I think that, Humans are really amazing, and I think that we'll we'll find a way to get through this, um, and we'll be super inventive and um, proactive, hopefully. Uh, but I just it is it is it, it, I mean it's interesting that there's the the there is that sort of personal sense of um, how things are going to be for you and your family, and then there's also this societal thing of like I don't know what this is going to look like. You know, I, I mean, I think the the analogy, very imperfect, that sort of sprung into my head as this was all happening was like that this was the sort of scale of upheaval that was going to happen with, you know, a degree and a half or two degrees of climate yeah. change. But it's happening in like two and a half months rather than yeah. <laughs> uh, 30 years or 35 years or 50 years. Totally. You know I mean? Um and like, how does that correction happen um, to to things? And thinking about the societal change, the the thing that just gives me the shits. I'm like, we're giving all this power away to state bodies to police people's movements yeah. entirely, necessarily, obviously because of the moment that we're in. But what happens on the other side? No, of it's that? true. Like, I mean, I exactly. You know, governments don't like to give up power. <laughs> they once they've got it, especially not police, especially not police and the security apparatus, and you know, there's always a there's always a potential emergency around the corner, right? We might need this. Totally, and I think for me, it's like there is a beauty in a globalized world. Um, 
to a certain extent and open travel and free travel and, you know, movement and all of that sort of stuff. And, um, but I think that we're going to, I don't, I don't think it's, I think that people are going to start pretty severely closing their borders um, and like the ability to travel and get visas and all of that is going to, and study abroad. And um, I think that that is going, people are going to be taking a whole new perspective on that, um, which it's like for our children, like what is that going to look like for them when, when, you know what I mean? We have all these, we grew up with the idea that, you know, like the world is our oyster. We can go out and, visit these different cultures and understand these different cultures. Um, but now it's like, are we going to be taking a step back and looking at everything from afar? Um, and what does that, what does that mean to, to sort of retroactively understand the world in that way? Um, it's really, it's really strange. I think for me also, I'm getting a, a lot of comfort in knowing that there's an election in November. I don't know what I would be doing if I, I really, I really truly don't know what America would be feeling like if we knew that Donald Trump was going to be our president for another four years. Well, there's, you know, there's, there's, um, you're speaking with a degree of certainty there that um, I wish I could share. I know. As well. I, I mean, I know. it's, uh, that's uh, something I can't That's even, my optimism right there. <laughs> I can't even, I can't even touch that. I can't even go near it, you know? Yeah. Um, um, I mean, one good thing about being where we are is that um, it's it's possible to close yourself off from some of that the worst excesses of of that. I mean, it's here too. Uh, the same the same um, behaviors are evident here in the public sphere, but it's it's nowhere near as um, it's nowhere near as brazen. Or chaotic, you know, it is it is brazen and it is chaotic, but nowhere near as, as brazen. Yeah, as over here, it's crazy. I mean, it's it's for me. It's like how I've also come to peace with it is understanding that it is like, like you were talking about with like this idea that like it, it is nature. It's climate change. Um, it's like the same sort of idea that you know it's like this like this sort of speed up of of reactions that we've had to sort of lay out for ourselves. Um, yeah, like, have you ever had the feeling, um, just in 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 general, at certain points, you see the amount of consumption and thought, this can't go on like this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like you said, we're we're sort of like constantly wanting to consume all of the information in order to understand where we are. And I, I think that, um, you know, I I host a restaurant where, and we have restaurants where hundreds of people come in every single day, and you're so so you're seeing people's behaviors and things like that, um, and. It, and also paying attention. It's I, many times, I think in the past, like, you know, yeah, 10 years where you're just like, this absolutely cannot keep going on. And it's like, an, our behavior has to be snapped back so far from where it is now. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I wouldn't ever try and, you know, characterize this as a silver lining or anything, but it, it's just a, a set of circumstances that have forced upon us um, the beginnings of certain reassessments of things that otherwise um, we maybe weren't capable of of doing, you know. Yeah, or even comprehending, com- capable of like comprehending. I think. Yeah, yeah. Because we're such a future focused world of like, you know, what are we going to do next? And I think that this is really forcing us into the present and really sort of making us analyze what are we doing presently to mitigate you know, our sense of risk to mitigate, you know, 
our sense of death, all of these different things. Um, and it's crazy because it's like the way that I think about it too, is that this is a virus. This is a virus that was produced out of nature. You know, it's like, it's like a very, this is something in viruses are produced every single day. And so it's just like this idea that like nature has come about and forced us because it's, you know, it's, we're not fighting a, a you know, a, a human, we're not fighting a country. We're not fighting anything that we've ever comprehended. Um, this is some like a, this is something that has come out of, out of the world itself. And so, um, it's a species level, it's a species level risk yeah. kind of thing, you know, exactly. It's like, we're kind of, I'm not, well, it's just like, it's, this is just, kind of what it means to be on the world for this happens every you know 100 years or so it's just it's crazy it's just that it's just such a it's something we never thought was going to happen it's just so crazy well i'm sorry i don't have any clarity to offer you <laughs> it's okay i was not expect <laughs> yeah you asked me you asked me those questions and you asked me those questions and my head is pretty foggy about a lot of things, like how things are going to really shake out. I know. But I do feel very viscerally the, the sense of like, oh, my God. I'll tell you what. I read um, a book um, by David Wallace Wells called Uninhabitable Planet. Um, the Uninha Uninhabitable Earth, sorry. The Uninhabitable Earth. And um, that, um, that was, I don't know, three months ago or something. And that really stopped me in my tracks in the way that nothing else has in terms of thinking about how radically different the life of my children is going to be to the one that I grew up in um, and to the one that I'm in now actually because the so many of the so many of the pieces of scaffolding that have been constructed in our society are going to not be there and um, are, are going to be so dramatically different and so that really sort of stopped me in my tracks. And I was thinking that, like, um, and, uh, and this is it playing out. <laughs> yeah, right before our eyes, before any of us were ever ready for it. What was the biggest, what was the, like, the biggest sort of shocking one, like an example of? I couldn't really give you an example, but uh, but I'll tell you that the the description of the sort of exponential speed with which we're destroying the capacity of the planet to support human life and to support the societies that we've constructed, the speed of that and the exponential speed of that was, was really stuck stuck with me. Um, and then the, the sort of follow-on from that was the very real uh, realization that the kinds of suffering that we have been able to consume as capitalist consumers of media on TV is not going to be in TV anymore. It's going to be in your life or your kid's life. Yeah. And you're talking about like violence in general. Yeah. Violence, massive social upheaval. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's, that's my sense of it anyway. I, I'm not doing justice to the book. The book is amazing, but... Um, I believe it. I, I, I'll have to, I'll have to, you know, I'll make that my <laughs> I, first book. Just, 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 <laughs> yeah, give yourself a bit of recovery time before you, before you reach for that one. Yeah. Oh man. 